This is mutual. The following audio drama is rated PG-13, suggesting that all children under the age of 13 should listen accompanied with an adult. Hello, strange world. Welcome to the Aldergate Papers. My name is Adrian Ward, and these singed and crumpled pages are my diary, a record of the final days of my former life. I remember almost nothing of the story they contain. All I know is that it ends with me very nearly being killed, and that it may not be entirely unrelated to some of the strange things that seem to be happening lately. If there's any truth in the odd fragments of memory that I just can't seem to shake, well, there are things you deserve to know. Things that may help you to understand what's going on, and what's coming. We left our hero en route to a lunch date with his old pal Baz, who has requested an audience for reasons unknown. An audience which for reasons equally unknown, she isn't going to get. The plan had been to grab a bite at the famous Rhodes House. Instead, well, this is Day Four, Part Four, Tea Among the Bloodletters. It is the fourth day of the return to Aldergate. The time and place of writing is somewhere around two o'clock in the afternoon, at a secluded table in one corner of the Bloodletters Club. We begin. Onwards to Rhodes House. Yes. <laughs> Fancy little old Adrian Ward, standing lunches at Rhodes House. Haven't you done well? Ah. A quick footnote, and a bit of local Aldergate color. Rhodes House is one of those restaurants that doesn't print its prices on the menus, for fear of violating the Obscene Publications Act. Pedigree to the nth degree, a whole constellation of Michelin stars and all that. Rather fun if you're dining alone, but I've found that if you've got company, it tends to drag out a twenty-minute conversation across two and a half hours, as the kitchen pins you down with a barrage of tiny dishes that take longer to explain than to eat. Beneath that thick upper crust, however, Rhodes House is very much a proper English hotel restaurant, and it belongs to the Lignum Arms, surely the most proper of English hotels. The Lignum occupies about half of the northern edge of Museum Square, it's not a grand hotel in the traditional sense. No gaudy illuminated sign out front, not even a fat chap in a brocaded coat waiting to help Sir with the door. After all, Lord Lignum was not above opening his own doors. 
nor, for that matter, were Pitt, or Baldwin, or Disraeli when they trotted up to Aldershire for hush-hush meetings with sinister diplomats and exotic mistresses. Anyhow, yes. Two elderly ladies in powder-pink Chanel suits emerged from the lignum just as you were trotting up the steps. Flashing a pair of antique grins, each seized a leaf of the double doors and swung them wide for your grand entrance. Awfully nice of them, you thought. You bowed your gratitude and got a brace of crackly giggles in return. Hmm, chalked up against your profanity in University Place, that ought to just about balance your account as an ambassador of the Aldergate brand to out-of-town visitors. And, speaking of out-of-town visitors, there do seem to be an awful lot of them at the moment. You didn't know it, and wouldn't have guessed it, but this appears to be bumper season for Aldergate tourism. The lobby of the Lignum Arms was full to bursting with hardy travellers, their stacked luggage forming an untidy archipelago across the burnished inlaid floors. For the first time since you've been back in Aldergate, you found yourself having to breeze past those interested second glances. You know, the ones that say, Oh, look, it's that fellow. What's name? Oh, you know who I mean. The one with a harrow for a heart. The one who oughtn't to be trusted with kittens or small children, let alone the data infrastructure of global finance. Hmm. Yes, yes. Nudge, nudge, whisper, whisper. No doubt staying at the Lignum puts one on alert for celebrities, however uncelebrated. But even so, you don't generally get quite that volume of recognition, outside of those emerging tech summits you never go to anymore for precisely that reason. However, whatever's brought this lot to town, it isn't that. You'd peg their average age north of fifty. Perhaps it's some sort of private equity retreat. In Aldergate? Hmm, suppose anything's possible. But there was something else odd about it as well. Everybody seemed... happy. There was an almost festive spirit about the place. Too much general bonhomie for a professional junket. Is the Lignum playing host to some sort of international swingers weekend? Well, whatever's up, the ambient joie de vivre was infectious. You rose above the stairs and whispers and headed for the restaurant. You nearly made it. You also nearly made a mistake that could have cost you your good mood, your peace of mind, and untold hours of a life that you'll be much happier spending elsewhere. So close. You were on the very threshold. But to actually get inside Rhodes House, you'd have had to insinuate yourself around or through a merry band of business casuals whom you found engaged in the time-honored ritual of laughing at the boss's joke. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing that would have stopped you pushing past. Something about the joke teller, however, brought you crashing down to earth and carried you hurriedly on past the restaurant, down the corridor, and into the club room beyond. How many chaps, your guardian angel whispered in your ear, can inspire that particular kill-me-now expression in the eyes of their audiences? 
And of those, the old G.A. continued, how many even own a white vegan leather Stetson hat, let alone wear it in public? Not many, you'd warrant. And you'd guess that still fewer have the initials K.B. tooled into their white vegan leather belts and riveted into the backs of their white vegan leather cowboy boots. Even in a universe where chaos reigns and justice is an illusion, there couldn't be two such pillocks, surely. Ugh. Kirk Bloody Bryce. There's a reunion you're content to avoid. Once let Bryce sink his pearly fangs into you, and you won't escape without a heartfelt personal introduction to everyone in the building followed by two rounds of some daring new cocktail he discovered in the Transvaal that you don't like and are forbidden to pay for, followed by two days of nursing a bone-deep bruise on that bit of your arm where he likes to punch you when he calls you an old son-of-a-bitch. Ugh. Kirk Bryce. <sighs> what the twist can have brought the silly idiot to Altergate? Cryptek is flourishing, growing by leaps and bounds. There's talk of an IPO next year. What's taken that penetrating nose of his off the grindstone and into your new patch? Whatever it is, he probably wants you on board. Whatever it is, you'd probably rather die. Oof. And those may indeed be your options. Quite apart from the obvious reasons why any sane mammal would want to avoid Bryce, you can absolutely not afford to be spotted hobnobbing with anyone who can be connected to Project Sybil. Not too many of those left now, and naturally Bryce never had a clue what he was actually working on. And that's probably what saved him, but it won't save him again, and more importantly, it won't save you. You're already the talk of Voxen. The bastards are sure to convene a conclave about you, and sooner rather than later. That bit of your parting ultimatum, where you offered to leave the past in the past, will ring pretty hollow if you're still keeping company with Sybil's unwitting chief of operational security. Hmm. Well, you played it as well as you could have done. Or did you? Bah! It's all so dashed complicated, so vague. Signal and noise and signal and noise. No use weaving a brilliant cover for your shenanigans if your mask looks as guilty as what's underneath it. Oof. The more you ponder it, the less you like it. Half the bloody hotel recognized you. Bryce will find out that you were there, and when he does, the first thing he'll do is carpet-bomb you with demands for a reunion. And he'll use the bloody Cryptek platform to send them, because A. He'll think it's funny to use vestige-level Kitbit encryption for a dinner invitation, and B. He's a prat. So, not just rendezvousing with questionable compadres, but also pretending you're not rendezvousing with them, and swapping secret messages with all. Three strikes, self old boy. Perhaps you ought to have just bit the bullet. You could have played the game. 
you know, nicked his hat and played keep away, all that alpha male hierarchy of dominance primate ritual stuff. They'd have liked to see that. One, two, three, four, kneel before the status quo. And Bryce would have appreciated it, too. After all, the Adrian Wards of the world don't punch far below their weight class. Precedence greases the wheels of the world, and the ceremonies of precedence are sacred right. Failing in them draws attention. Hmm. But not, perhaps, as much as taking a sudden interest in them. You've always been odd about that sort of thing. Which is more suspicious, continued perversity or sudden conformity? <sighs> bah. Signal and noise. Angels on a pinhead. Too late to do anything about it now. On with the diary. Yes, quite. On to the club room. <laughs> Funny thing to call it. Although, yes, all right, technically it is just the one big room. But what a room. A magnificent nightmare of imperial crustiness, partitioned up by a hedge maze of potted ferns and lacquered screens and moldy old suits of armor. You could play a pretty good game of hide-and-seek in here, though there would be stern letters written to the board of directors if you did. And there is a certain fossilized style to it all. You quite like the red damask silk on the walls. Trouble is, you can only see it in the patches where the exotic hunting trophies don't quite tessellate with the soot-darkened portraits. <laughs> and you thought the Mansa's portrait of Vice-Chancellor Darkwell looked grim. These painted sourpusses all appear to have made their fortunes in the scowl mines. The sort who'd grumble morosely about how they missed the old Ebenezer Scrooge. They must be livid about the club's coal bills. It's about 7,000 degrees in here. You count no fewer than five fireplaces, each with its semicircle of comatose members slow-roasting in deep armchairs. Yes, yes, and so on. All this hit you square in the eyeball as soon as you stepped in, past the cloakroom, and past the discreet little sign indicating that use of the clubroom is exclusively reserved for members and their guests. You were still reeling from your near escape, and it was a moment before your instruments detected the sweep of hostile radar. Too late. No evasive maneuver could have saved you. An oily gal in a brushed tailcoat had a lock on you from twenty yards and was inbound on an interception course. A gorilla with white gloves and brass buttons slid into place behind your right shoulder. The maitre d' bobbed ingratiatingly. Could she assist sir in any way? You smiled your winningest smile, shot your cuffs. You may even have tried on a light, disdainful laugh as you rifled mentally through your inventory of credentials. No good, nothing doing. You, what have been what you've been. You, what have gone where you've gone. You, what have seen what you've seen. Hmm, <laughs> been more than a decade since a door failed to open before you. 
But since you've been back at Watergate, well, first Midwinter Hill, and then... <sighs> you hemmed. You hawed. You fumbled desperately for some secret shibboleth that might forestall your getting bunged right back out into the arms of Kirk Bryce. Tailcoat let you stew for a moment or two with the noose round your neck. Then, with an apologetic cough, she prepared to drop you into eternity. And sublimely on cue. Master Ward! Over here, lad! Over here! Yes, the chap waving the governor's pardon was none other than old Kilbury himself. The maitre d' vanished in a puff of brill cream. The thug with the buttons receded, and you went gratefully to join your rescuer. Prof. K. beamed up at you through his pince-nez. He beckoned you into this little nook, his regular spot, as you've come to learn, and a jolly good one, too. Comfy chairs, sweet little flowering orchids on the table, and while it enjoys the shelter of a pillar and a potted fern, it does afford a narrow line of sight to the front entrance. Useful for spotting beloved students in need of rescue. Anyhow, so began quite a different lunch date from the one you'd had in mind. Scene. Interior. Day. Yes, now we've got a bit of dramatic dialogue. Not, I think, a verbatim transcript, more the artist's impression of my conversation with Kilbury. I hope so, at least. Ahem. Ward. Hello, Prof. Didn't expect to see you here. Kilbury, elevating an eyebrow. Didn't you? Your freedom from prejudice is admirable. I have taken my lunch in this very room, at this very table, every day without fail for longer than you have been alive. I will confess that the possibility of my not doing so today never even entered my calculations. Ward. Aha, uh -huh. quite. Kilbury, meditatively. Nevertheless, I now perceive that my expectation has been distorted by the uneven lens of my own experience. After all, the tradition of my presence here is infinitely less venerable than the tradition of your absence. And yet, here you are. I see now that only change is truly changeless, and I thank you for the lesson. Enter waiter, stage left. Order your lunch now, there's a good lad. Well, you made a crack to the waiter that you'd have whatever Kilbury was having, since it had kept him coming back lo these many years. That business concluded, the conversation turned quite naturally to those strange winds that had blown you into this unfamiliar harbor. <clears throat> Kilbury. Now, Master Ward, pray tell. What is it that brings you to the Bloodletters Club? Ward, dodging like a mongoose. Well, haha, uh, funny story, don't you know? Uh, quite. Yes, 
needn't tell you, of course. Ha <laughs> ha! That is to say, hello, what's that? The blood letters, you say? Uh, gosh, there's a name with a fascinating tale behind it. Eh? What? Kilbury, successfully diverted by the opportunity to be witheringly scornful about something. A fascinating tale? How dare you, sir, so much as suggest such a thing? Fascinating tale, forsooth. Where the Bloodletters Club is concerned, Master Ward, you shall not find so much as an intriguing story. Even an amusing anecdote should require majority approval from the membership. Dear, dear, perish the very thought. The Bloodletters should hardly have endured these many centuries as Britain's preeminent unknown society if we permitted ourselves to become interesting. Ward, doing his best. Ah, quite. Well, it seems a jolly nice little outfit. And a posh address as well. As her tells go, the Lignum Arms is unaffiliated. That's Kilbury interrupting sharply. Unaffiliated, my boy. The Bloodletters has no relationship with the establishment which, I am given to believe, continues to operate in the adjoining structure. Since Lord Lignum lost his standing as a club member, that would have been about 1755, I believe, there has been no commerce, congress, or communication between that institution and our honorable order of occasionally like-minded individuals. Ward, indulgently. Is that so? Golly, a secret society, you say? Kilbury, making a noise like an owl abandoning hope. What an imagination you have, Master Ward. I am certain that you intend no offense, so I shall accept your apology on account, but you would do well in future to think before you speak. Think not to associate the bloodletters with some ephemeral confederacy of occult symbols and complicated handshakes. A secret society, indeed. My dear lad, at no point in our long history has the Bloodletters made any effort whatsoever to conceal its existence. As a result, I can assert with some little pride that we have achieved a degree of obscurity unmatched by any lodge, circle, or brotherhood ever founded. At least... Here he failed to suppress a momentary twinkle. At least, not one of which I have ever heard. Well, you might have told him a thing or two, of course, but one-upping philosophy professors isn't quite worth dying for. So instead you inquired about the name, and Kilbury gave you the executive summary. It seems that this little club of his was founded, in days of yore, by four friends of four distinct professions. A barber with a small surgical practice in Grope Lane, a freelancing headsman in general service, an eminent moil in residence at Chamber College, and a retired pirate who had lost his moral compass and become M.P. for Brindle-on-Fay. Through the perquisite abuses of their respective professions, all four had achieved wealth in excess of their ambitions, 
and in one another they found certain commonalities of experience and disposition. Beyond that, Prof. K. wouldn't say. Bloodletters Club history is Bloodletters Club business, apparently, and not for your ears. However, Kilbury assured you that it is so mundane and unextraordinary that to tell it to a non-member would be an act of inhuman cruelty. This much you did learn, that the club charter restricts membership to those who have served time in the bloodshedding trades. Most of the current members are either ex-military or retired surgeons, with some exotic exceptions. It seems that that mountain of flesh, snoring under the daily bystander in the next alcove, was once a celebrated prize-fighter. I regret, Kilbrey continued, that it is not presently our policy to consider applications from financiers. However, if you've an interest, I could be persuaded to stand on your behalf. From what I understand of your career, you may merit special consideration. Hmm, seems a bit harsh. Well, at that point lunch arrived. An old-fashioned steak and kidney pudding. The bloodletters may not have the eclat of Rhodes House, but you half suspect them of sharing a kitchen. At any rate, the club chef must be half-medicine man and half-mind-reader. You don't generally favor awful, but it's put you to rights and no mistake. Gone are the lingering shivers from a string of rough nights. Gone, too, are the aftershakes from that near thing with Bryce. In fact, left to yourself, the sheer volume of hot gravy and butter pastry would have sent you right into a hibernation. Prof. K., however, after stripping his own plate clean like a piranha fish, generously lent a hand with yours, to save you, in his words, from the gaucherie of eating alone in the presence of your betters. The old chap has certainly come by his gut honestly. The arrival of the sticky pudding was the starting gun for a race of the forks. You took silver, but with a good enough time to prevent poaching. Lunch concluded, conversation resumed, and turned, as it had to do sooner or later, to the strange and sorry subject of Sammy. Hmm. A terrible business, a tragic business. The fellow looked deeply moved, and he's not the sort to emote for the sake of show. I spoke with Miss Braden a number of times since her return to the university. An exceptionally intelligent, remarkably motivated woman. No truer words, eh? He knew you'd known her too, of course. He had personally witnessed more than a few of those knock-down, drag-out rhetorical brawls that were the foundation of your relationship. On the night of Sammy's death, however, he hadn't witnessed a thing. I regret that the first I knew of what had transpired was communicated by a detective inspector from the district. She came rapping at my door in the early hours, and I fear that I may have been, perhaps, less than gracious. 
The disjecta membre were not at that time identified to me as belonging to Miss Braden, and I initially dismissed their discovery as the prank or whimsy of a disordered mind with access to the Weatherby Pathology Labs. He seemed to sink into himself. Would that I knew all of what transpired that night, he murmured. To think of the things that happened right under one's nose, or just outside one's window. The poor chap seemed truly distressed. He leant back and rubbed the swell of his belly with a distant, pained sort of expression. Of course, you hadn't expected him to have much to contribute in the way of evidence. At his age, a fellow needs his beauty sleep. You did hope, however, that he might have done some thinking of his own about the mystery. After all, there are a lot of different sorts of brain in this world. You and Sammy, well, for all your glaring differences, your mental processes were remarkably similar. Too much so for anybody's good. But take Baz, for example. Stick Baz in charge of a tricky venture acquisition scheme at two o'clock in the afternoon, and she'd be penniless and under indictment by tea time. Conversely, if you were stepping in to run Aldergate rather than just rule it, the whole place would doubtless come apart at the seams. That's why it's so important to build a team properly, get the right sorts in the right spots. And, as far as this murder investigation business is concerned, you'd have valued Prof. K's implacable, unsentimental logic, the merciless machinery that whirs within the Kilbury skull. A difference in perspective can make all the difference, eh? Even with no new facts, you might have worked wonders with the help of a different way of understanding. Hmm. A different perspective. Yes, that is a thing, isn't it? Take the same input, work from the same information, but run it through different brains and you'll get... Hmm. Perspective. Point of view. Yes, anyhow, no luck getting any sort of perspective from Prof. K. He says he's avoided thinking about Sammy's murder, or its attendant mystery. Not for want of interest, I assure you, personal or intellectual. However, a good workman understands the limitations of his tools. I fear that my little bellywick is bounded by the limits of a priori understanding. If it would amuse you, I shall cheerfully expound upon the nature of the sort of universe in which such a crime could occur. As to the who and the why, however, such a posteriori matters raise ontological challenges well beyond my remit. He tented his fingers over that tenacious third waistcoat button. Miss Braden was a complex woman, and a cause of not inconsiderable complexity in others. It would be facile to suppose that she died more simply than she lived, and I have not the arrogance to construct a deductive Niagara from the evidentiary dewdrops at my disposal. Now, Prof. K. pushed back from the table and hoisted himself to his feet, just as the waiter rolled up with the tea cart. Now I fear that I must leave you. 
Time marches on, and I must fall into rank. Pray stay, he insisted, raising a knobbly hand to forestall you rising. You are my guest here. Have your coffee, and do forgive my abandonment. I hope that this first collegial luncheon shall not be our last. You assured him that it would not, and off he went, leaving you to imbibe and reflect. And write. And ponder. Good old Kilbray. It's a shame him being no help on the Braden case, but you shouldn't be surprised. Him and his ultima ratio, his perfect universe of interlocking wheels. Lucy isn't silly enough to try to build the thing. Not like some people you could mention. Yes. Yes, yes. R.I.P. Lapdamon. But it has got you thinking, and it's making you want to take an inventory of all the odd little bits and pieces of information you've picked up since your triumphal return to Aldergate. You can't get away from the feeling that something doesn't quite fit. Hmm. And then again, some things seem to be fitting too nicely by half. Recurring themes. Leitmotifs that keep popping up in unexpected places. What's it all mean, eh? And is there really some pattern in the noise? Or are you imposing it, conjuring false order out of what's really no more than void and chaos? Hmm. Perspective. Point of view. Yes. That's the key, isn't it? Observation and deduction's a mug's game when there's so much to be seen and yet so little to be observed, at least from where you are. You've got to see the problem from the inside. Well then, put yourself inside it. Yes, yes, ask not who the murderer is, or how they did it, or even why. Don't ask why Sammy did whatever she did that got her to where she ended up. Now, think of it another way. Suppose it had been you. You returning to Watergate. You taking office space in Triple E. You barreling ahead down a carefully charted path to your own destruction. How would you have got there? What would you have done? Oh, only one way to find out, isn't there? Hark for odd. Well then, our hero's on the hunt. The truth is out there, and while he hasn't got much to go on at the moment, Vice-Chancellor Ward may know just enough to be dangerous. To himself, at any rate. We shall just have to see, shan't we? Join me every second Sunday at thealtergatepapers.com. Find the Altergate Papers on Apple Podcasts as well. And spread the word, won't you? This may be my story, but I fear that it's likely to become everybody's problem. Until next time, I am and shall remain your humble servant.
Adrian Ward. Hi there. Do you like science fiction and fantasy? Well, you're in luck. Wednesday Wonders is the mutual audio feed that has all things to do with the world of the unknown. Subscribe to the full mutual audio network feed every day for amazing audio, or you can find the Wednesday Wonders for all of your sci-fi and fantasy needs in your favorite podcast player. The Mutual Audio Drama Network where we listen and imagine together.